0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. My name is Josh. I'm the family pastor here at ACF, uh, which basically means I help with our children's ministry, junior high, high school pastor, and college-age ministry also. And uh, I get to speak with you guys this morning. Uh, Welcome to ACF. Uh, Go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, This morning we're going to be mostly in there and um, if, if you're new this morning or if you've come and you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible around you somewhere. Feel free to grab that if you need it. If you don't have a Bible... Take it home with you. That's just kind of our gift to you. We'd love for everyone in here to have a Bible. Also, uh, everyone was handed notes this morning when you came in, but if you didn't get notes or if you're more of a mobile person, like the majority of us are, uh, we have a brand new uh, website, uh, acfak.org. We t- completely uh, revamped it. And so if you go there on your mobile device, you're actually going to see a blue bar going across the top of your device. If you just tap that bar, that will take you straight to the PDF version of our notes. So feel free to do that right now also. So. So to we'll start by reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I love this idea, this, this image that the author of Hebrews writes, this race that we're in. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a race before. I don't know if you've ever seen maybe a track meet. I know most of us, like, we love to watch the Olympics come around every four years. And all of a sudden, every four years, we're like experts in gymnastics and track and field. Like, oh, they should have done this. Can't believe it. We all of a sudden become experts as we watch the Olympics. But for me personally... Personally I I love track and field. It was my passion when I was in high school. I realized very early on I I was a smaller kid in high school. I know that shocks many of you as you look at me now uh, but I was actually quite a bit smaller in high school and and early on I realized that there wasn't a lot of colleges calling like 5'5", 150 pound uh, boys to be like wide receivers or running backs for them. And so I was like okay if I'm gonna maybe try to do something after high school I gotta maybe try to find a different sport that fits me better. And so I found track and field and I fell in love with track and field. And, and me personally, I, I found that I was pretty good at sprinting and I found out that I wasn't even pretty good at sprinting, that I was like really good at sprinting. And like my junior year had an awesome year, ran track, did really well placed in state and sprints. And I ran 200 was my race. And then I remember going into my senior year and it's our first week of track. And my coach comes up to me, he's like, Josh. This year, you're going to be on our four by 400 team. Now, if you're not familiar with track, that means four guys are going to run 400 meters and they're going to, it's the mile relay. You're going to be on our mile relay team. And then my first thought is, yeah, this is awesome. Coach sees my potential. This is great. Immediately following the second thought was, oh, please, God, no, I can't believe why is he asking me to do this? Because if you're not familiar track, the 400-meter sprint is, I think, the most difficult thing that you can do in track. It's not a distance, nice, slow pace you can do. It is a push yourself as hard as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can, and hopefully you don't die before you get to the finish line. And so I remember my coach comes to me. He's like, you're going to run the four by 400-meter relay team. And I'm like, okay, this, I've never done this before. I haven't run the four by 400 before. I've never run a 400 before I'm a sprinter. I do 200, 200, meters at a time. That's my max. And so he puts me in the first race. And I remember this is just like a week or two after we started practice. So we haven't really even had the chance to practice how you run a 400 meter dash. There's actually ways you can practice that and do it right and do it wrong. And so he puts me in the race and I'm the third leg and it's my turn. The baton gets put in my hand and I start running. And it, I'm a 200-meter sprinter, and so what do I do? I'm out of there sprinting as fast as I can, and I am blowing everybody away. I am looking awesome. And my idea was, well, I'll run a 200-meter dash, and then that will take me half the length of the track, and then I'll just run another 200-meter dash, and that'll take me the second half, and I'll cross the finish line. Easy, right? And so I get to that 200 meters, and I'm flying. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing awesome. 250 meters go by. I'm like, all right. Maybe should turn, tone it down a little bit. By 300 meters, I'm done. Right? This thing, this this baton, this a very light aluminum piece of metal, this thing has never felt heavier. I felt like I was dragging it as I'm crossing the finish line. Out. Nothing left in the tank. I'm just like throwing it at the guy who I'm supposed to hand it. Here, I'm done. Take the stupid baton. I'm out. Right? I didn't know how to run it. I was done. And my coach takes me. He's like, okay, you can't do that. Like, you can't just... Burn all your energy in the first 200 meters. You have to learn how to pace yourself. And so we start practicing how to run a 400 meter dash. And our, our relay team, we start practicing almost every day, pacing ourselves, timing ourselves, how to hand the baton off over and over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, our team kind of started to come together and we were getting pretty good. And all of a sudden, our times that we were running were, were posting like fifth in state, fourth in state third in state and we're like oh my goodness we we're, we're doing pretty good and all of a sudden halfway through the track season we had the fastest time in the state of Washington for single A schools and we're like wow this is amazing and every day we're out there practicing handing off the baton timing ourselves pacing ourselves Pretty soon it gets into the postseason for the track, right? We get into like the district tournaments and then we get into the bi-district tournaments and then we get into the state tournament, right? And there's the state qualifier and then there's the semifinals in state. And I remember running the semifinals in state. And at that time, we still had the fastest time posted by any four by 14 for a school our size. And we go into the semifinals and we kill it. We crush it. We come in first. And, and you're not only running for... To make the finals, but you're also running for placing because there's different lanes that you want to be in in track There's some lanes that are faster or slower than other lanes And so we get the best lane in track and we are excited My 4x4 team, we are ready for the state finals And the state finals come Saturday in May, year 2000 I remember walking on the track, I can smell the track I don't think you guys are with me I don't think you're with me Eli, help me help them Help me help them get to where I'm at right now. So, it's the state finals for the 4x4. The 4x4 is the last race always run during track season. It's, oh, you end the day with the 4x4. So I remember my team, we walk out on that track and we are ready to run. We've posted the best time in the state. We just had an amazing State semifinal and we were ready to take home the state title trophy. And my, my friend Nathan, he was our, he was our lead guy. He, he was the slowest of the four of us, but he wouldn't burn anybody away, but he wouldn't lose the pack either. He could hang with everybody. And so the gun goes off, Nathan takes off running around that track. And as he's coming around the back stretch, we see him, he's about in fourth place, right where we expected him, right where we wanted him. And he comes down that track and he hands that baton off to Zach. Zach comes. Now, Zach wasn't a super speedy guy, but he had some strong endurance so he could get out there. And Zach was always good to pass at least one person. So when Nate comes in in around fourth place, Zach gets the baton. He takes off running. Now, Zach's coming around that back corner. He's gained ground on the the pack. Now we're in third place, right where we expect to be, right where we wanted to be. I was the third leg. And so I remember Zach coming in and that baton coming, putting it right in my hand. I was gone. I was a sprinter. I was fast, and my best, my sweet spot was the back third corner. People didn't like running the corners. I thrived on the corners. And so I'm holding my pace nice and strong. The pack's getting a little in front of me, but it's okay because I knew that corner's coming. And as soon as I hit that corner, you're 200 meters away, and I was a 200-meter sprinter. I hit that back corner, and boom, I was gone sprinting. past second place, first place. And I come running down that final stretch. We're in first place now state title is in our grasp when I hand that baton off to Derek. Derek gets the baton, Derek was solid. What he whatever position we handed him the baton in was the position we were going to finish in. And so we just knew we had to be in first place to get it to Derek and then if we got it to Derek in first we were going to stay in first. Derek gets that baton and he takes off running. I see 100 meters goes by. 200 meters go by, Derek's in first place. He's running, he's looking strong. He hits that back stretch, 300 meters. He holds tight. Final 100 meters away. We are 100 meters from the state championship. Here comes Derek. He's 50 meters away, 40 meters away, 30 meters away. I remember it like it was yesterday. Here he comes down that stretch. He is now about 25 feet away, about 15, 10 feet away, five feet away from crossing that finish line. And we are state champions. And he goes and he reaches across the finish line. There's only one problem. He's about five feet too early, and he leans, and as he does, he stumbles, trips, drops the baton, and skids across the track. So close, yet so far away, and one, two, three guys go running right past Derek as he is feet away from a state championship. I, say, I tell you that story to let you know I, I love this imagery. I connect with running races. I love running races, and I love what the author of Hebrew, how he paints this, that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, and what are we doing? We're running a race. Now, a lot of people talk about this like you're running a marathon. Maybe, but we're in a stadium. You don't run marathons in a stadium. I think he's more talking about a 4x4 four four relay, right? Because he says run it with endurance, and trust me, you've got you to gotta pace yourself when you're running that 400. You can't just sprint the whole thing out. But the thing is is he's talking about a relay. See, it, the relay is the only team sport and track. And we are on a team, and we have to be handing that baton off. Today, so here at ACF, we've been in a series, and the series is called The Code. And we've been talking about different codes that we are committed to live by, or different visions, vision statements maybe, as, as corporately as ACF Church, and then also individually in, in our personal families, in our personal homes. And I hope you've enjoyed this series As we're getting close to wrapping it up, and I hope that you've been able to take some of these codes and really challenge yourself with these. And today's code that we're going to be living by is we are committed to reach young. We are committed to reach young. Now, I don't want you to hear that and go, oh, okay, so this is uh, a message on youth ministry and children's ministry. No, it is not that at all. Now, they will be included in what we're talking about, but really, when, I say, when we say we're committed to reaching young, we're talking millennials on down, millennials on down, and millennials are about 33 years old and under, and you're going, okay, so if I'm not 33 years old, if I'm older now, are you saying that you're not committed to me? No, that's not what we're saying at all. That's not what we're saying at all, but what we're saying is we, we have a responsibility to be reaching young. We have a responsibility to be reaching young. You see, I was doing a lot of research as I'm prepping for this message and, and I was, as I was reading and doing this research, I've learned a couple of statistics, which honestly I knew. This is my wheelhouse. This is what I do as youth ministry. And so these were not a surprise to me, but you may not know this. Uh, talking about uh, the different generations that, and, and their church attendance, essentially. It says uh, uh, 61% of the silent generation, also known as the builders, uh, attend church. So 61% of that generation, while they were in their prime, they attended church. Fifty five percent of the baby boomers attended church. So there's a bit of a drop off there, but still over half. Fifty five percent of the baby boomers, which there's a lot of baby boomers in here. Uh, my parents age uh, attend church. Fifty five over half. Just awesome statistic. of the Gen Xers attend church. So really from the baby boomers to the Gen Xers, there's not really hardly any drop off from 55 to 52%, still over half um, a generation attending church. And these statistics um, obviously are for the United States here in America, what what, what we're a part of our culture and our place. But then from the Gen Xers to the millennials, it goes from 52% to 36%. A massive, massive drop off. And, and you've got to understand, when they are doing these surveys, they're asking you, do you attend church? And so that's not even just including the Christian church, right? Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and just uh, anyone and everyone that goes to church will say, well, yes, I go to church. And only 36% of millennials are saying that they go to church. And so if we can understand that, if that's talking about just going to church, then, man, it's a, the number of who goes to church is actually a lot smaller than that if we think about who goes to a Christian church. When they did these surveys at the same time, like same age group. So when they surveyed the Gen Xers at a certain age group, it was 47% of them said, yes, they go to church. And that number kind of actually went up. But for the, for the millennials, it was 36%. 36% said that they go to church. That's 64% of them that do not attend any church in any way, shape, or form. And that 64% that do not attend church, that is the greatest number that they've ever recorded of a generation not attending church in the last hundred years. That's the greatest number of a generation not attending church in the last hundred years. And so when when we talk this morning, we're committed to reach young. It is because there is a generation that absolutely needs to have the baton of faith handed off to them. You see, we're running races, and I, I love that in, in Hebrews. We're running a race, and that's why I love to think of it more of a, of a relay race than an individual, because we're, we're a team. And it is up to us to hand that baton. See, the, 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 that 64% that's not attending church, I don't think that's entirely their fault. I, I think some in ways that it is, but in some ways it is that they have not been taught, they have not been trained, they have not had the baton of faith handed off to them. And because it's not been handed off to them, they're in the exchange zone. They're waiting, going, okay, when's it our turn to run? You see, as we talk about handing off the baton of faith this morning, one of the first things um, that we need to realize is that it's up to us to hand off the baton of faith. It is up to us to hand off the baton of faith to the next generation. And if you're in this generation, you're going, well, hey, I'm, I'm a millennial and I'm coming to church. That's awesome. And it's up to you to hand off the baton to your peers around you. We have to do this together. And, and I love this verse in Psalm seventy-one, eighteen. It says, now as I grow old and my hair turns gray, some of us in the room, I ask that you not abandon me, O God, allow me to share with the generations to come about your power. Let me speak your strength and your wonders all to all those who are yet to be born. I love that. It's the idea the psalmist is writing is saying, God, I'm getting old, but don't take me out of the game yet. I got to hand this baton of faith off to the next generation. Don't, don't take me out of the game yet, God. Don't abandon me, God. I know I'm old. I know I'm gray, but, but it's okay because I, I have to talk about your strength. I have to talk about your wonders. I have to talk about your power to this next generation. In other words, God, I got to hand the baton of faith off to the next generation. You see, it is up to us to do it. And Jesus gave us a perfect example of this. We see in Matthew 28, it starts out in verse 16. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. They saw him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples." You see, this is the last words of Jesus that we have of him on earth. This is the last recording of Jesus's words. He, he says this and then he floats up to heaven, right? He says this and then he's out. What does he do? He says this, he hands the baton. He puts the the baton of faith directly into the hands of the disciples. And he says, now go and run this race and hand the baton off to the next generation. And you got to think Jesus, he knew what he was doing, but man, that is a lot of faith in those 11 guys. I mean, can you imagine if Peter was like, hey, thanks, Jesus. Thank you that I know you. Thank you that I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to go fishing now. Right? I was a fisherman before. I think, yeah, doing this mission stuff. That's kind of hard. Telling people about you. Kind of dangerous. I'm going to go fishing. Right? Or what if one of the other disciples is like, that's cool. I think I'm going to go on a new business venture. I think I got some ideas. That I don't know if I want to hand the baton of faith off. And not saying that those things are bad things. But what if the disciples didn't take handing off the baton of faith seriously? I mean, think about it. We are sitting in this room learning scripture, learning about the word of God. And the only reason we know about any of that is because the disciples didn't drop the, drop the baton. It's because these 11 guys over 2000 years ago took that job seriously of handing off the baton of faith. You know, and, and I was reading the statistics, and they can seem dire, and they can seem like, man, we've gone from 52% to 36% in one generation. That, that's, man, that's scary, and it is. But then I was kind of thinking about it. I was like crunching some numbers, and I was like, man, back then there's about 300 million people on the earth, and the baton was handed to 11 guys. That is 400 millionth of a percent of people that were Christians, right? Bible-following Believers who followed Jesus, right? That was 400 million. And they did OK. They did all right. They got the word out, obviously, through the whole the power of the Holy Spirit, not all resting on their shoulders. But they understood that it was up to them to hand off the baton of faith. So if it's up to us to hand off the baton of faith, I think we need to have a good understanding of what that looks like. And I think that therein lies a big part of the problem. I think therein lies a big part of the problem is that we don't understand what it looks like to hand the baton off. See, when I was in track, we would practice it over and over and over again. I knew knew that when Zach was running down that uh, last lane, that in my exchange zone, I, I had 28 steps I needed to give him. 28 steps before I took off running. And so what I would do is I would walk out 28 steps. And then I'd put a piece of tape right there. On the track, and then I would go to my spot, and as soon as Zach hit that piece of tape, I was gone as fast as I could. And then I knew that as as him going full speed and me getting up to speed, by the time I got to where I was supposed to be, I could turn and he was right on me. We practiced it over and over and over again. There was a way to hand off the baton. But then I know we'd compete against schools who clearly didn't practice how to hand a baton off. Right. And, and their guys would coming in and they'd kind of look like this. Right. They're like, hey, slow down. I'm tired. Right? I just ran 400 meters. Take the baton. Right. And, and they didn't practice it. And they didn't do very well. See, and I think we need to understand what handing off the baton of faith looks like. See, because I think what we think it looks like is not what it actually is. A lot of times we think handing off the baton of faith is things like you just came to church on Sunday. Good job. You've now taken the baton of faith. Or it can even be like, oh, man, you are doing really good academically. Thanks. Here, you have the baton of faith now. Or maybe it's like, just, man, behavior modification. You're just a good person. You act right when you're supposed to. You say the right thing. Here, you've, you've taken the baton of faith. And I think we've just really misunderstood what it looks like and what it means to hand off the baton of faith. And we've, we've prioritized the wrong things. And those things are not bad. Please don't hear me. Or please hear me. Please don't hear me. Please hear me. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There it is. Well, I'm not saying academics aren't good. They're very important. I'm not saying the way we behave in society is not important. Of course it is. But we've, we've prioritized the wrong things. See, Jesus goes on to talk in Matthew 28 as he's talking to the disciples. He's saying, Hey, I'm handing you the baton of faith off, but this is how the exchange is made. This is how the exchange is made. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to. T- Man, how often are we praising the next generation as they get into scripture and learn? Right. So often it's like, oh man, you got a new job. Congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, you just made rank, Congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, you just graduated. Congratulations. That's amazing. And when we throw celebrations for this as well. We should. But I never I rarely hear. Oh man, I just got done st- studying this portion of scripture and I like, actually memorized a chapter of the Bible. That's huge. Oh my goodness. I, I actually I'm learning. I'm in a Bible study and I'm learning to read the Bible for myself. And don't have to, to rely on Sunday morning to learn from the Bible, but I can learn. This is what God spoke to me. That's amazing. And learning to hand that baton off of faith to the next generation as we celebrate and, and teach them. We corporately should be teaching the next generation on all that God has taught us. And so if we're supposed to be teaching, we really ought to be learning, too. Right. It's up to us to be in Scripture so we can hand that baton off of faith to the next generations. Teaching them things that are actually in the Bible. Oh, I get this all the time. Oh, yeah, the Bible says, you know, things like God helps those who help themselves. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like, but, but society says that. Oh, I hear that all the time. But it's not in the Bible. Oh, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that something around the lines of, you know, this? No. Oh, I thought that was in the Bible. We have a whole generation that is completely... Biblically illiterate They don't know because they have not been taught And so there's another really cool example in the Bible of Of someone handing off that baton of faith Really cool example of that we can see of someone Doing exactly that great exchange And that's uh, a guy named Paul and a kid named Timothy Now I think most of you know this but in case you don't Paul was an apostle in the Bible Which basically meant he was like a representative of of Christ to, To the world that he was living in uh, he, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in, in letter form. He uh, started of at least 14 churches. He planted 14 churches that we know of, and in reality, it was probably more than 14. So like Paul was on a mission to like start churches, to spread the gospel, and on his second missionary journey, he meets this kid named Timothy. Now, Timothy is probably around the age of 16. We don't know exactly. He's probably around the age of 16, and Paul meets him and just instantly kind of has this connection with him. Now, Timothy was a young kid. He was raised by his grandmother and his mother. There's very little mention about his father other than that he was Greek. And so we don't know. Some scholars believe that maybe his father had died. Uh, maybe he's being raised by a single mom, which, um, man, this generation can definitely relate to. And so Timothy or Paul meets Timothy and he likes him. He's like, hey, Timothy, we're going on a mission trip. You're coming with me. Timothy's like, cool. Where are we going? I don't know. we we'll let the Holy Spirit lead us, guide us. We'll figure it out. OK, here we go. And so Paul starts taking Timothy on these missionary journeys with him and he starts handing the baton of faith off to him. And, and I love the way that Paul does this. He, he does it very specifically. It's, it, it's very strategic in the way that Paul hands that baton of faith off to the next generation. We can see it in, in, in Second Timothy 310, Timothy is now pastoring a church. And he's getting kind of frustrated. And so Paul writes him a letter to encourage him. And he kind of reminds Timothy about handing that baton of faith off. He says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, you know what I teach and how I live and my purpose in life. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance by how I live. Right? He tells him, you know what I teach. You know how I live. You know what my purpose is. It's by how I live. So the first thing we kind of see in this letter is that Paul obviously taught Timothy. If we're going to hand this baton of faith off to the next generation, we've got to be teaching the next generation about faith. Paul says, you know what I teach. You know what I teach. The only way he can know what he teaches is if he was teaching him. If Paul was actively teaching Timothy. And so we we have to be teaching the next generation. Like I said, they're completely biblically illiterate. It is, it's general, I know there's a lot of students that know the Bible, and that's it's amazing. I get to work with a lot of them Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. But as a whole, man, they don't know the Scriptures. They don't know the words. And we need to be teaching it to them as we hand the baton of faith off. And the other thing that Paul says is he says, you know what I teach. You know how I live. You know what my purpose is. You know what my faith is. You know, what my, you know my patience. You know my love. You know my endurance by how I live. The second thing we have to do is we've got to live it out in front of them. I think that's kind of where we're at in our society today. We we, we speak a lot of, right, do as I say, not as I do. Right? A lot of do as I say, not as I do. Hey, you should follow the Bible. I'm going to go do my thing over here. But you follow the Bible. Right? And then we're frustrated. Why aren't they following the Bible? Because they've never had an example to see what it looks like to follow the Bible. Paul's telling Timothy, you know how I live. You know what my purpose is. You know what my faith, you know, my patience, you know, my love, you know, my endurance by how I live my life. You've seen it done. It hasn't been a do as I say, not as I do transition of passing the baton. It is do as I say, do as I do moment that Paul had with Timothy. If we want this generation to accept the baton and to have a clean exchange in the exchange zone, we've got to be not only teaching them about the word of God, but living it out in front of them. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts this. He puts it very plainly. How do you live out your faith in front of somebody else? How, how, how do you do it? it? It's kind of difficult to, if you think about it. But the, but the author here, what we read in Hebrews, he says, throw off, throw off every hindrance and sin that so easily entangles us. By throwing off every hindrance in sin that so easily entangles us, that allows us to run that race with speed, with pace to have good exchanges. I remember running in races where it was kind of cold outside and I would get into the starting blocks and there were guys there like in their full sweats and their warmups and hats and gloves. And you're thinking, dude, why are you even here? You're you're not going to compete whatsoever with everybody else. Yeah, it's cold, but you know, you gotta, you got to get rid of this stuff. you got to get down to the uniform that was designed to run. The uniform that was designed to run this race. See, the sin and the weights of the world was not designed to run the race that God calls us to. Those are the things that slow us down. Those are the things that even keep us out of the race altogether. And so if, if we want to be a living example to the generation below us, to the generation maybe around us, our peers... There's a lot more millennials in this service than there were in the first service, just saying. So I wonder why 11 o'clock, much easier to get to. If we want to be able to be that example to them, we've got to throw off the weight of the world and the sin that so easily entangles us. And you're going, Josh, that is way easier said than done. Yes, it is. How do I do that? How do I throw off the weight of the world and the sin that so easily entangles me? Do I just be awesome enough. Do I get up in the mirror, look at myself? Hey, we're not going to sin today (laughs) because I'm awesome. And so are you (laughs) in the mirror? Yes. No, that's not how we do it at all. That's how we try to do it. I think that's how I try to do it, right? I'm just going to be strong enough and I'm going to say, no, I'm going to throw off the weight of the world. I'm going to throw off sin. I can't be strong enough. The writer in Hebrews continues on. He says, fix your eyes. On Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith how do you throw off the sin how do you throw off the things that weigh us down by fixing your eyes on Jesus the author the perfecter of our very faith you know when you when you run track when I would run I would get tunnel vision I would get to where I was about 75 meters away 50 meters away and everything would just and all I could see was that pink ribbon flapping in the wind I couldn't see the people around me. I couldn't see the people in the stands. I couldn't see the athletes on the field that were doing their thing. All I could see is just tunnel vision, and I focused on that, and I ran forward. I think a lot of times we don't have tunnel vision on Jesus. See, it, when you run, and if you don't know this, uh, when you're a runner, you never ever, 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 ever cardinal sin when you're running is to look to your left or to look to your right to see where your competition's at. The second you do this, you've taken yourself out of the race, especially in sprinting. The second you look to the look to the left, someone's passing you. You don't look to the left, you don't look to the right. And I love that. That, that is such a, um, a track metaphor when he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That tunnel vision. Don't look to your left, don't look to your right. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, pretty soon the, the, those weights of the world, we don't have to drop them off. We don't have to force them off. They fall off. That sin that so easily entangles us, we find ourselves being able to do to, to battle against that sin. A friend of mine who's a pastor, he, he, taught, he told me that he prays this for his kids. And when he first told me, I'm like, well, that's crazy. But then I started really thinking about it. I'm like, man, that's amazing if I could really do that. He says every night he prays for their, his kids. He says, God, may my children love you so much that it is difficult for them to sin. May my children love you so much that it's difficult for them to sin. In other words, may they be so fixed on Jesus that when they do sin that it, it hurts them. That they realize, man, I'm sinning. They feel the weight of that, and they don't like that, and they don't want to do that. How do we live out our faith in front of the next generation? By dropping that weight, getting rid of that sin that so easily entangles us, and fixing our eyes on Jesus. And you're going, Josh, that's way easier said than done. It really is. But there's, there's things that can help. You know, we have programs like CR on Friday nights. man. if you're struggling with sin, come. There's a lot of people there that struggle, that are working it out together, that are supporting each other. We have life groups. Man, get into life groups and be real and be honest. Don't go to life groups and go, well, hey, how's your week? Good. How's, how's sin? Anything you're struggling with? Nope. I'm good. Right? There's just not, it doesn't help. It's cool to get together, but that's not growing. But when we can go to life groups together and be honest and grow and go, man, I'm struggling with this. Pray for me, guys. That's fixing your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Another way, so we see that Paul taught Timothy. We also see that Paul showed Timothy how to walk that out. And the the other thing that Paul did was he challenged Timothy. He challenged him. He didn't teach him just to teach him. He didn't just teach him so he had this knowledge in his head and he could walk around, I am smarter than you when it comes to Bible stuff. I got this knowledge in my head. No, he taught him and then he challenged him. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 4.17, we we read that uh, Timothy was sent to Corinth to remind the people there of Paul's ways and teachings. Corinth was all kinds of messed up. All kinds of messed up. They had Paul's teachings and they were getting it inside out and backwards and just terrible theology. And what does Paul do? Does he go himself? No. He sends Timothy. The person he's been training, he's handing that baton of faith off. He's challenging him, going, Timothy, I need you to go there. and I need you to take, take care of this for me. We, we read in Th- uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.2, uh, tells us that Timothy was sent to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. They were struggling in their faith. Struggling is, is what Paul's teaching us real. We're struggling our faith. And does Paul go himself, he sends Timothy. He says, Timothy, go and strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. See, he challenged them. There's a generation that's waiting to be challenged. And to be quite honest, the millennials, they've been challenged. And they have risen to the occasion. Right? The, the millennials have been challenging things like business, entrepreneurship, technology, all those kind of things. And they have blown the roof off of the place. Right? I mean, let me ask you guys this. How many of you guys receive a paper newspaper at your door daily? Subscribe to the newspaper. One, two, three. Okay. In a room of about two hundred people-ish, we got about four of you guys who subscribe the newspaper. That has completely changed the way we get our news. Right? The way we communicate. Soldiers, I mean it's so much better for you now. I mean, we got like Skype and FaceTime and all that sort of stuff. We communicate in a whole different level. It's been great for me moving to Alaska. My kids can still see grandma and grandpa every day if they want to. Right? We've completely changed the way we have technology, the way we communicate. Social media has changed everything. Right? It's changed all. The, the millennials have really blown the roof off the way we live our life. But the one way millennials have not been challenged is in their faith and spiritually. They haven't been challenged in their faith. And I was thinking about it going, why is that? I mean, you can see moments, you can see times when other generations were challenged in their faith. Why have not the millennials and, and this is my perspective on as I've been in youth ministry for about 12 years now, a little over 12 years and seeing what's gone on. I think maybe one reason we haven't challenged the millennials is because we feel sorry for them, because as, as much as they have risen the occasion of being challenged with all these things, they're also a fatherless generation. The, the statistics of how many millennials have been raised in a fatherless home or still now. I mean, some of you guys, you guys are millennials in here. A lot of millennials, not everyone, but there's a lot of millennials here. I've are, 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 been part of a fatherless home. And so I think what we've done is we've gone, oh, that's too bad. We've patted him on the back and given them a pass. Man, I feel so bad for you. I feel so sorry for you. The situation that you were raised in. I'm so sorry. Here, just to have a Pass. That's just been my personal perspective on it and why I think we haven't challenged them. But it's time we see Timothy challenging or we see Paul challenging Timothy. And I think it's time that we challenge millennials. We challenge the young. We challenge them to memorize scripture. We challenge them to be in the word, to know the word, to understand the word, to live like we live, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles them, to, to, to take a stand, to draw lines in the sand for their faith, to seek out what they believe, to understand theology. Like we can challenge them. I'm, I'm part of that millennial generation, just barely, but I am, I am man to, to accept young pastors like this church does is amazing. We have a very young senior pastor, a very young associate family pastor, right? Fortunately, my brother came on staff. Otherwise, you know, that just helped, you know, put the age up, you know, we would have been really young if it wasn't for him, but we got him. So we're good. But but saying, yes, you know what? Youth has value. You understand and you've you've heard from God. You've experienced God. And now go do something with it to challenge the next generation. Timothy was challenged by Paul. So what we see is how did that exchange work? What did it look like? How did handing off the baton of faith look like from, from Paul to Timothy? Paul taught him. He showed him. And then he challenged him. Real simple. It's not overly complicated, but to challenge the next generation, to hand that baton off. What does that look like? Challenge, teach the next generation, show the next generation and challenge the next generation. And here's the thing. Here's the problem. None of that matters. None of that matters if you yourself are not in the race. None of that matters if you are yourself or not in the race. I remember being on the track team when I was like a sophomore in high school and we had a really, really good four by four team. And I remember watching them and them winning and going, yeah, our team's winning. Awesome. I have no part of that because I'm watching, right? I'm on the sidelines. I'm in the stands watching them just beat everybody. That's so cool. I feel some school pride. That's awesome. But I wasn't, I wasn't part of that group. I wasn't on the track. I wasn't making exchanges. I wasn't working and running the race. I think oftentimes We can think we're in the race when we're actually not. I think sometimes we think being in the race means, well, I showed up to church on Sunday morning. I'm in the race, right? I gave. I'm in the race, right? I've done these things. I'm in the race, right? You see, Jesus tells us kind of a chilling parable in Matthew. Kind of a sobering thought in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. There's a bunch of people and they're standing before God and they're pleading their case to him. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we? Didn't we do miracles in your name Didn't we drive demons out in your name? And I will say to them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I mean, these guys are like, man, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. We were on the team, right? I mean, we watched the team do all this amazing work. We, us, we were at church when that happened. I remember when that person got healed. I was on that mission trip. I was part of the team. But they didn't have, they weren't in the race. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't know them. And I think another reason, maybe... The baton has been dropped. I think another reason why it hasn't been handed off with such ease and smoothness to the next generation is because we haven't been running the race. You know, when you, when you run track, when you make that exchange, you wait in the exchange zone. I would sit there and I would wait. I would wait for Zach to get to me. I would watch him coming. I wouldn't move until he got to where he was supposed to be. And I waited and I waited and I waited until he came into my exchange zone to hand me off the baton. And I think that there's a generation who's waiting and waiting and waiting in the exchange zone. And they're waiting for us to come around that corner and hand the baton off to them. But we haven't, maybe because we're not in the race altogether. We, we're part of the team, right? Or maybe it's because we don't know what that exchange is supposed to look like. I'm not sure. I'm kind of hesitant to go in, into this exchange zone to hand off this, this faith baton because I, I don't know how to do it. I know what it looks like. Let's be honest. Millennials, they're kind of scary, kind of arrogant, kind of annoying. Right? I'm part of it. I know. Right? Maybe we just kind of look at them and go, yeah, it's a lost cause. Whatever well, pick it up next generation. I'll, I'll make sure my, my kids, I'll make sure they know Jesus. Right? But when we looked at the statistics, every generation was a decline. But I don't think it has to be that way. That's why I do what I do. I don't think it has to be that way. If we pick up the baton, get in the race, and hand that baton off to the next generation, that baton of faith, by teaching them, by showing them and by challenging them. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that you handed off the baton to some very capable men who, who messed up. God, they, they blew it. But God, they didn't quit the race. And God, I just pray as, as we are running that race, as Hebrew says, the race of faith. That Jesus, that we would not quit the race. Not give up on the race, but God, that we would keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that as we do that, that the weight and the sin of the world would fall off of us so we could run the way we are meant to run. And that we could hand that baton of faith off to the next generation and see them move in the glorious works that you have set out for them. And Jesus, if we're not in the race this morning... God, I pray you would reveal that to our hearts today. That we would not deceive ourselves and say, yeah, I'm on the team. But really, we're just in, this, we're just in the stands as spectators. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you. Amen.